0: You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast. I'm beyond excited to welcome Kevin Morby to the show. I knew Kevin had played in bands like Woods and The Babies. I imagined he would have some stories and he delivered the goods. Living in New York and Brooklyn, he was doing bike delivery. He's got some excellent and scary tales from that. Before working at a cafe that his friend ran, when Omar from The Wire came in and helped him confirm his belief that he could do music full-time. So he moved to California and released Harlem Road river working with the same crew as woods and the baby still he tells us all about that period of time how he established himself as a solo artist and where his head was at for well all the albums on his catalogue thank you so much for listening to this podcast as always if you could share it with friends if you could let other people know about it that would be great that's what gives this show legs East London's Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They've brewed beers with Mastodon, with Idols, Slaves, and a whole bunch of other bands. If you're in the UK, you can get beers delivered over lockdown with 10% off using the voucher code 101PODCAST. All right, here's Kevin Morby on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Thanks for listening. His album Sundowner, of course, is out now. Stay here, stay near me. I mean you're in a recording shed is that yeah. part of the house or is it this is
2: my back shed yeah yeah it's separate from the house but it's like a little used to be just sort of like a garage sort of like the bones of a shed but I I um got it got it all fixed up
0: amazing when was the first time that you had a place to do that like at what age did you have like a room for specifically recording for for making making music
2: um, when I moved into this house when I was about 29, I guess, 29, 30. Um, yeah, that was the first time. Other than that, it was, you know, I was living in um, New York and L.A. And I guess in New York, I lived in like a band house with like five roommates and we could play in the living room and stuff. Had a couple of situations like that, but a lot of sharing practice spaces with other bands, which is always kind of the worst.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you have a specific sort of place or uh, like a particular kind of setup that either you work well in or or don't work well in um you know
2: the thing about it is i feel like it's creativity sort of has a mind of its own um you know i've written some of my favorite songs that i've written um in like a sterile airbnb or you know um in like a you know 10 minutes of downtime backstage or something like that um but, uh, you know, I, I don't work well around other people, I guess I, I like to, I, I you know, that's probably a common thing But I like to have, like, my own space And feel like I'm going to have no distractions
0: That's got to be a skill I mean, living in a house with other people I mean, were you ever tempted to just kind of want to hang out all the time?
2: Yeah, of course, of course And, um, you know, it's hard to just get into the sort of, you know Deep parts of your psyche When you can hear your roommate cluttering around or something like that, you know
0: for real especially when like your your music so so like vast and kind of has its has its like world of its own that kind of element it's 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 real like escapism really
2: yeah yeah well thanks yeah i um you know I've, i've said this a lot in interviews but i really like to write before i go to sleep or right after waking up and it's not like i i plan that out it's just i have a guitar hanging on my wall next to my bed and um you know if i'm on tour i'll just have my guitar out and um I like those that time of those times of day because it's your your mind is sort of not distracted. It's kind of half asleep, half awake. And it's just sort of it's not concerned with with um, doing anything particular. It's just sort of opening some doors to your consciousness that will let a let a few important things out, I think.
0: And of course, that's like the escalator onto well of of Sundowner, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Sundowner actually, you know, I wrote that in this house when I just moved back to this house. But that album was really kind of done. The the thing that sort of unlocked the or, you know, held the key to those those doors was uh, this four track machine. You know, I was starting to work on this four track and having a lot of fun working with it. And something about wearing headphones and like hearing myself go into this machine and and be shot right back out at myself. I was writing in a different way. It was creating this new sonic platform that I was very comfortable in. And it sort of opened up um, a new way of songwriting for me.
0: You said in a couple of interviews about it how like, you used it like an instrument in itself. Yeah. And so, I mean, it makes me think, like, that must be a nice antidote to to all the software and hardware at, at your disposal.
2: Yeah, you know, even because sometimes I'll record stuff on the Pro Tools and stuff, but I always like to lay, like, a base with, um, with uh, um, the 4-track, with just working on tape. Like, I like to not involve screens as much as possible. I'm working on this thing right now where I'm scoring um, a little short film thing for a friend. And, um, I, you know, I I started to work on Pro Tools, but just looking at the screens, it's hard for me to get inspired. But when you're dealing with this sort of analog, um, you know, it's just aesthetically pleasing to me. So I can kind of lay the foundation there, begin the song there and then dump it into the computer. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm not inspired by the computer, I guess.
0: Some of my favorite records, the liner notes or the, or, you know, the artwork is, sometimes to do with analog or tape or that kind of stuff and you know after all this time it's still inspiring isn't it
2: yeah yeah I, it really is and it's funny to think that at a certain point in time it would have seemed like an advanced technology like maybe someone was like oh i don't work on those things they're too they're too distracting and but now they feel very archaic
0: when did you start recording yourself then when did you, well production you know when did you start real producing yourself was that at the start of like woods and the babies or even before that
2: no, you know, I'm really bad with that stuff, to be honest. And I love paying people to produce my records and engineer and stuff because it's it's uh, I'm so bad with it. But I do enjoy doing it uh, through the demoing process, and I think I've gotten better. Um, I always kind of feel like I'll get good enough to release music um, at a point where my songs will get bad. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I'll, I'll be in my 50s and be like, I finally can make something in my shed that's of record quality, and then, you know, the, but the songs will suck or something. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen. But... Um, but I've always been around like the woods, like when I was in woods, like, uh, th- like the woods process was, um, recording ourselves and Jarvis who plays in the band and is still in the band and, and Je- even Jeremy, the the sort of leader and singer of that band We're always, uh, recording in the living room and had like a little, uh, recording set up and they've only gotten better and better at it. And then in the babies is always pretty DIY and working with friends in terms of recording. Um, our friend Jarvis from woods and then our friend Rob, um, Barbado, but yeah, I've always been around it. I I think just for me, um, when it comes to putting down what I'm going to put out into the world, I just don't have enough confidence in myself. Like I want to completely lean into like the creative part of it and not be distracted of like, where do I set up a microphone and how do I get a good sound? But I do have a lot of fun demoing. And I think demoing is such a crucial part of the process because it's where you find, You know, it's where you end up writing all of the sort of fun stuff like the the lead guitar parts or, you know, percussion part that you're really excited about. So I really enjoy the demoing process.
0: This podcast is all about how people get by playing in bands in the earlier years. And that period of woods during that time is, is something that I find really fascinating. You know, doing something basically full time, but having to do everything else around it to sustain it. And so it makes me think, I mean, Benny from the Gaslight Anthem said in one of these episodes that he thinks there's no middle class in music.
2: That's interesting. He said there's no middle class in music. That's funny because I kind of feel like there is a middle class in music.
0: Brilliant. Let's go. Tell me.
2: Well, I feel like I'm in the middle class of music. I feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. I've seen music in, in that sort of system of like, oh, there's an upper class of indie rock. There's a middle class. There's a lower class. And i mean i guess you know just there's a there's a class system for everything um Mm. if you think about it just in terms of what people are bringing in or or you know where their level of success is at um perception
0: and and everything
2: i wonder what he meant by that there's no lower class in music. i
0: think maybe what he meant in maybe punk rock uh he maybe he was talking about the fact that either you're going on tour and playing 50 50 quid a show or or you're getting the Levi's ad, which is, you know, that's what the Gaslight, Gaslight Anthem did. You know, they were the th- the third album major, you know, the sec- second album licensed to the major kind of kind of feeling.
2: I see. I see.
0: But you're in different worlds, right? I mean, you're in... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. The indie rock world. I, I think indie rock actually is kind of all a middle class. You know, maybe I want to take that back. I feel like, like, here's how I've described it before. I think, and the, and this speaks to my point, like what he was saying actually speaks to the point I'm about to make, which is, I think for indie rock there's lower middle class there's middle class and there's upper middle class so I don't know you think uh, if I'm in the middle class of it then maybe someone like Father John Misty is in the upper middle class or you know a band like Beach House or something but I think that you know a band like nirvana is either not going to be heard by anyone or they're going to be huge stars one of the biggest bands in the world you know i think there's a lot of people who swing for the fences um when it comes to music there's a lot of people and that's like the local bar band you know the local bar band isn't trying to get moderate success which i think every indie rocker is striving for the local bar band wants to be huge they want to get a single on the radio so i think for that sort of thing there's like a lower class and an upper class and indie rock just kind of like rides this this middle thing um through and through I think.
0: Do you think a lot of those bands, well, you know that kind of indie rock world, do you have to make that jump of being like, okay, this is what I do now. I don't have time for for another sort of life. I have to do this 100%. Um
2: I get yeah. You know, I guess it depends. Um, my for me personally, it you know, the last job that I had, I made I had a very I made a very conscious decision of, you know, I was living in New York at the time and I had to work sort of a few jobs, but I had kind of one main job as working in this cafe. And I remember thinking to myself, like I'm, I'm so stressed out about having to like commute to work and then just, you know, um, I, my brain is just filled up with um, these useless numbers or these things that just distract from, from music. So if I'm really going to do music, I need to change it. And, you know, that was a moment where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to move to Los Angeles because it's a cheaper city and there I can just survive off of music. So I do think inherently that being an artist, um, if you throw yourself all the way in, um then you know you have a higher chance of of success um but at the same time i mean there you know there's there's many people who work normal jobs and then make incredible you know legendary historic art mm. on the side mm. you know it's like the henry darger, darger thing where you know after a, a, a lifetime of being a janitor once he passed away they found all this amazing art he was making all along the way and um, yeah, you know, there's an, especially in something like indie rock, you always find out like, oh man, that person, you know, who made that iconic record was a teacher at the time or, or, you know, whatever, there's a bunch of examples like that. But I do think that I, I like the idea of, of throwing yourself into the fire and into your craft and just giving yourself all to it for better or worse.
0: And of course it requires going on tour. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, and you know, that's something I feel very fortunate about where I started touring when I was so young started touring, I guess quote unquote professionally, yeah, I was making some money on the road, even though I would maybe like technically lose money, but like yeah, yeah. there was money being paid to us at the gigs, even though if like the net worth was uh you know a, a negative but um but since I was nineteen and so but I used to look at touring like I was lucky to to begin at that age because you know it, it felt like a vacation at that time, you know, I see a lot of people. Um, who are just now in their late twenties, early thirties, who are wanting to make a go of it, and I do feel for them because I know how hard it can be out on the road, especially if you're in a situation where you're not seeing much return or, or you know, not many people are coming out to the shows. Because it's hard on your body and your soul and your your spirit. So I feel very fortunate that I started when I was really young, when it seemed like a vacation. And as much as I still love it now and I love playing music, the travel does really wear on you. So, um, you know, I'm just I'm 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 fortunate and lucky that i started as early as i did
0: you know releasing a record going on tour releasing a record going on tour like like, you know anyone can see how that can be maybe you know a repetitive process or or something like that how do Mm. you kind of how do you try and keep that new and fresh and how do you find how do you try and sort of give yourself time to find new ideas and new inspiration amongst all that time
2: um you know i just think it's a lifestyle i think it's it is new and exciting because you're always working with some new material. Obviously, in the beginning stages of it, it's always the most fun it's going to be um, because it's the first time that you're doing it. Um, but you know, but with that said, you know, yeah, you you can gain certain comforts or or things will change and things get better. Sometimes things get worse. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I've always found a lot of comfort and faith in the fact I, I always feel like touring musicians are sort of like the soldiers of art you know it's the only other time that the word tour is used outside of the military really you know you go Mm. on tour Mm. Um, and I know maybe if you you're an author you go on like a book tour but that's not that doesn't last very long but like musicians just tour and tour and tour and there is this element of putting our lives on the line to do what we you know we hold sacred to us Um, you know we leave our families and I can't tell you how many funerals and weddings and um, you know, birthdays I've missed over the years, you're just kind of like this, this phantom, you know, just flying through the universe. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I, so I think it just becomes part of your lifestyle. You learn mm. to, to love certain things about it, even though some things about it are, you know, hard, but, um, it, it stays new and exciting just by writing new songs and putting out new records, having new, playing with new people, taking new people out on the road. Um, so just yeah there's there's ways to keep it fresh you know i mean i think being alive inherently like you could get bored doing anything so you always just have to find creative ways to to make it interesting
0: anyone's going to be going through their own hard periods and their and their tough times and you must have been through a few of those at this point in your career
2: yeah absolutely you know someone it's funny because you like you forget certain times you know there's this one tour that we did um that a friend asked me about and i forget why they asked me about it the other day but they were like I, I, you know what they were asking like um what was the circumstance of making your album city music my my fourth record and I'd, I'd really forgotten about it but um you know I was I was I was telling them like oh I had gone on this tour beforehand and through England and it was the winter and we had this kind of hard tour or no you know what it was I was talking about the shirt that I lost. I I had this like old vintage Kansas City Royals like our baseball team shirt that I had lost and I was like oh yeah you know I used to have this amazing shirt but I lost it in the wash the day before a tour at the at the laundromat in Los Angeles and um, someone stole all my clothes from this laundromat so I had to go to a Target and buy all new clothes like the night before leaving for this big flight to go on this tour so I bought all all new clothes and then when we landed in England the next day, um, they had lost my bag and it was like a 17 day tour and um, and uh, they lost my bag for 15 days. So oh, it was like this man. funny situation and it was like raining really hard, I was having to wear my friend Justin who's in the band at the time, I was wearing his clothes and then a friend of mine passed away while I was there and I wasn't able to make it back to the funeral and then um, one of my bandmates had some, some family trouble back home that was pretty severe and it was just one of the. I was remembering that tour all because I was talking about this lost shirt and, and then I was like, Oh yeah. And that's why we made city music. Like we'd had such a hard time on the road that we're like, you know what? Let's book some studio time in a beautiful place and go up and just kind of have like a vacation where we record music. And out of that came this album. And so, yeah, I think I, it was just funny. I was like, that was such a devastating three weeks. Like that it just sucks so bad, especially if this friend passing away. But, um, and you know I don't know it just gave me this sort of sense of I was thinking about my bandmates and I'm like wow we really went through that together and we really did a good job of being there for one another and um that's all you know sometimes when people think that being in a band is just super fun and you're just like the rolling stones out there being a rock star or something it's especially in indie rock in the middle class of music it is not like that at all and you know um so yeah, there's a lot of times like that. And there's times like that, that to come, you know. That, that, that some tours you go on, they're amazing, and then you go on another one right after, and it's it's horrible for reasons that are beyond you.
0: When you're writing songs, do you know what you're writing about when it's happening, in the moment? N-
2: usually, no. Uh, usually, it's, it's this process of words start to fall out of my mouth, and then shapes of words start to fall out of my mouth, and I'll assign words to those shapes later. Um, but... It you know, the best way to describe it for me personally is it really feels like therapy. It really feels like like I, I go into this thing and I start talking and then I'm able to look back on it um once the song is finished and be like, Oh wow, I must have really wanted to get that out, you know? Yeah and yeah, I wrote yeah. a song about this thing or that thing and um that must have been weighing heavy on my mind. So it's I, I really never set out to write a song about anything in particular, just sort of takes takes its own path there.
0: So when you move from from Brooklyn to LA, you're working sort of cafe jobs. I've written about I've sort I've read about in Brooklyn and some cycling jobs is that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, the biggest most steady job I had was doing bike delivery for about 5 years. And then around that, I had a bunch of other jobs like I was babysitting for this family who I'm still very close with and um doing a lot of odd jobs at the time. Um Craigslist was like a big thing and yeah. I had a couple of friends who had uh trucks. And we would, you know, they had the sort of, um, businesses of, of, you know, just being Craigslist moving guys. And so I would do that with them every once in a while. Those are probably like the most hilarious stories of just failure of just, you know, someone trying to save a few dollars by not hiring a real moving company and then getting us in there and just us breaking shit and losing stuff. Like so horrible, those poor people. But, um, (laughs) but then, then I worked as like a, yeah, at a cafe was my last real job, um, outside of being a musician but yeah when I think about like what I did before music it's it's bike delivery is is like the most steady sturdy thing
0: did you sort of acclimatize did you kind of um uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh like subscribe to that kind of um bike messenger lifestyle I I mean I know a few people in London and there's very much like a lifestyle Mm -hmm. that they have
2: not at all actually it's funny because in in Brooklyn you know where I was doing it at there's like two types of bike messengers. There's like the the diehard people that I think you're talking about who had like fixed gear bikes that were really nice and like they w- would deliver for like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And they'd have like eight different, you know, restaurants that they're working for at any given moment and um, they're really good at it and took it really seriously and they like kind of like how I am with music, you know, like any money they made on it, they put it back into like their biking gear or their bike or, you know, they just, it was a lifestyle, I guess. And then there was people like me and um there's a lot of people like me and i guess we were just actually musicians looking to make money in between tours it's kind of like the most dependable job as a musician and um uh yeah just people we had like the shittiest bikes we had you know like you'd see people out like in the winter doing bike delivery um, who took it seriously and they'd have like heat tech gear and they looked cool and like water resistant stuff. And then there's people like me who would just like layer up with like hoodies and like, you know, like just, just clothes that would get soaked and like, you know, uh, like, like uh dollar store gloves, you know, and, and just, we, we looked like little kids out there on bicycles and yeah, our bikes were kind of like the, shittiest things that we could you know hundred dollar bikes that we could just run into the ground all my bikes that i, I would like, use them for like two years and then they would just like die and i would just like leave them on the sidewalk and just buy a new one you know
0: and not to be um, a bummer i mean it's kind of it's, i love that aspect it's, it's you know i'm sure you got some funny stories from that but it's pretty dangerous right
2: it's so dangerous you know it's so funny when i go back to new york now i have so much respect and since since you know like for five years i was delivering food so that's I've a always, long
0: time five years is a long time
2: a long time, and that was always in between tours and stuff, and you know, so I'd go on tour, and again, a lot of those tours, I'd come back having lost money, so I would be like, I have to work as much as possible, you know, like, I would be on the road, be like, I'm gonna be back in a day, can I work every day this week, and so, you know, I would get home and just jump right back into it, Um but since then, I, you know, no matter what, if it's a pizza delivery, coming in a car, or someone walking, or someone, you know, riding the bike, I have so much uh you, you know i i tip my my delivery people so much ever since that part of my life um but it's so dangerous and when i go back to new york now and I, it's the winter i see people out you know it'll be like freezing rain or snow and that's the busy that those are the busiest times to be a delivery person and i lived that for like five different years and like that's where you make most of your money but it is fucking crazy it is yeah. so like to Just, you know, have to take out, like, whatever, like, 15 orders out into, like, literally blizzards. And you're, like, here I go. And it's you're risking your life. It's so dangerous. You're on, like... And the thing about being a bike delivery person is everyone hates you. You know, like... (laughs) from other from cars to the other bike uh messengers who actually take their job seriously and then the the waiter doesn't like you because you're kind of in their way as you're like packing orders the kitchen doesn't like you because they have to make your order like as quick as possible people in the restaurant don't really like you pedestrians don't really like you it's like everyone hates you and also you're making like the least amount of money out of anyone in the process (laughs) and you know and then People, you get, especially in the winter, like what I'm talking about, or like in rainstorms, you get to people and they're mad that their food is cold. And it's just, it's this very thankless job, but a job I was very fortunate to have because it's, I don't know any other job really that would have allowed me to go on tour as often as I was and still allowed me make money when I'd come back.
0: That must have kind of shaped your identity. I mean, if you didn't have like, you know, thick, tough hands and a thick, tough attitude before that, that must have given you that.
2: Yeah, I guess so in a way. I mean, and I was pretty young at the time, so I was just down for any sort of adventure, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these are times where I'd be out on the road and, I, you know, we were crashing on floors and I would just, like, smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and get as drunk as possible every night. Mm. Like, mm. I was just, you know, partying in every aspect of my life and showing up to work hungover and delivering people fried chicken <laughs> on my bike all day long. And so, like, I, I guess that's the thing is now being 32 – And when I do go back to New York and I see, you know, someone delivering food in the snow, I'm like, I don't, I literally don't think I could physically do it now. I don't think I'm strong enough. I think I've gotten weaker. I just think that there's this time in my life where I was young and crazy enough to do it, I guess. But it, it is indeed very dangerous. It's it's very dangerous to like bike around that constantly and like holding these bags of food in one hand. So you're only steering with another. It was completely ridiculous. And you know, some of the people you deliver to would be, crazy or you know you'd like deliver to an orgy or there's always some weird thing going on
0: did you actually make delivery to an orgy i think
2: i did you remember snuggies you remember the like i i just delivered to a bunch of people who were wearing snuggies and it's something sexual was in the air and so i think maybe the orgy had ended recently and i i, I was giving them their food as like a big order of food i was never involved in any There was, there was, you know, to be honest, there was nothing, anything like, there was never anything too crazy. I got shot up with like a paintball gun once. Um, there was a thing called like devil's night the night before Halloween in New York. Um, hit by a lot of like eggs, you know, like kids love to throw eggs at (laughs) at people, just shit like that. Just like stuff that again, I was young and crazy enough that like when I got shot by a paintball gun, I was just kind of like, ah, that's funny. You know, like
0: it's (laughs) something I would do. Um. Did you take that lifestyle on with you to, to L.A.? Were you still that kind of personality in L.A.? Well,
2: no, you know, and eventually I did give up. It became too much for me to do the bike delivery. I was maybe 24, 23 when I, when I quit it. And I remember the last shift that I worked um, was during, like, this crazy storm, like a hurricane, like a pre-hurricane sort of storm season. Like, there's a, some huge storm. And I I'd put in my notice. I knew it was going to be my last time working. But it was kind of like a valiant way to go out. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do like the best I can for this last shift. Um, that's through this crazy rainstorm. And so I, I just, I, uh, yeah, I went out in a a blaze of glory. Um, but then I started working this cafe that my friend Johnny owns. Um, in midtown Manhattan so it was like a little bit of a commute for me and that was it was totally like nice job and I was like really thankful to to have it for from him but that is really where I started to like prioritize music and I started to look at my life like okay you know what like I really want to do whatever it takes to just make music my main thing and how do how do I put that into action and then that's when I moved to LA and so LA I sort of had a clearer perspective like you know when I was 22 23 doing bike delivery I was like well you know my life is just I play in bands and I deliver food and I party. But at that point, when I was like 24, I was thinking like, you know what? I want to be a musician. I want to take this very seriously and really do this thing. And so I, w- I definitely went to L.A. in a different
0: headspace. It makes me I mean, I always I find when speaking to people who who make records for, for a living or, or more or less, I find that period of time so fascinating, that period of time when you're like, no, actually, I'm going to try and do this. You know, because I imagine you don't want to say out loud that, you you know, you don't really want to tell your friends right. or family necessarily. You know,
2: I had a very cheesy cinematic moment. And it's very cheesy, but it, I actually did it where I, w- I looked myself in the mirror on a break at this cafe where I, w- I went into the bathroom for my break and I was just like exhausted. Like I would opened the cafe that day or something and I was just, you know, and a lot of this stuff I'm doing it like the night after like playing shows or, you know, I'm just sort of just living this exhausting lifestyle, going on tour, which is in and of itself very tiring, and then coming back home and having to, like, jump straight into work. And I remember looking myself in the mirror and being like, I can do this. Like, if I quit this job and I go to a cheaper city and I just throw all myself into music, I think I can do this and I have to do it. I have to try. And so I had that moment. Um, And then I kind of, like, made my plans for how I was going to move to California and I was going to quit working in this cafe and on my last day working I took it as a good omen I'm a big fan of The Wire do you know what I've never watched The Wire Uh, Michael K. Williams who plays Omar Little um, who's one of my favorite actors and that's one of my favorite characters of all time he, um, he came in on my last day and I took it as a good omen and I don't know why I don't even necessarily really know his story at this point. I'm a huge fan of the wire and he came in and it was like during this like lunchtime rush and it was like a line out the door and I was working the register. The other thing is I don't drink coffee and I know nothing about it. I don't know how to make it. I've never really drank coffee and I only had this job because my good friend Johnny gave it to me and he was a manager. Um, I called him the owner earlier. He's the manager. Um, but without Johnny, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, had a job there. And so I could only really work the register, you know. I was like a non-coffee drinker guy working at a cafe, like a really popular cafe too. <laughs> so I had this line out the door and then he came in and I, for some reason it just sent me off um, very optimistic, you know. He came yeah. in and I, I – he was with his agent and his agent was kind of doing like, – conducting the, the, you know, the payment and the transaction. And – I saw him next to him and, you know, sort of celebrity style. He had like a hat sort of over his eyes and he looks like they had just gone shopping. He had like two bags, like a bag in each hand. And, um, he obviously didn't want to be noticed or, 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 you know, he was trying to like conceal his identity. And so, but I saw that it was him and I was talking to his agent and I just had this moment of like, you know, it's my last day um you know if this goes wrong who cares and so you know i was like excuse me i just want to say i'm a huge fan of all your work and he kind of like looked up from like underneath his like yankee ball cap and he was like uh he, he had this like he he goes oh yeah and i was like yeah i really am and then he he put down both his bags and then there's like this big pastry counter that was separating us and he like shook my hand over it and it was a really cool moment and then Great. I, I for some reason i was like this is a good omen this is i gotta i gotta follow my dreams
0: i think if you see something like that you gotta you gotta make yourself feel good about that
2: yeah it's always a gut feeling for me and celebrities like i so there's times where i see celebrities out and i'm like actually there's one time i was at the jfk at the airport and i saw um I, forget, I always forget his name uh, in real life, but his, his, he plays McNulty in The Wire. <laughs> I right. was gonna say but, hi to him, but I was like, ah, something just tell me not. He looks tired and his kids look tired. Like, I'm just gonna not. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that was, that was, that was a, a nice moment.
0: I work at a radio station in town and Stephen Fry was there. He walked past and maybe there was like five seconds and I was like, I have to say something. So I was yeah. like, what are you doing now? <laughs> he was like, going for dinner. Where are you going for dinner?
2: <laughs> That's really funny. I was like, can I, I give find you some
0: advice? <laughs> if, what's that? I was like, to him, I was like, you know, maybe I can tell you somewhere that, you know, you've lived in this city <laughs> fucking 30 years longer than me.
2: <laughs> That's really funny. But I, really just had, funny. I just had I've had to do it. Yeah, sometimes you got to do it. I find that if you just say, I'm a big fan of your work, mm. it usually goes pretty well. You know, right. right? if you're not like, if you don't get too specific, if you're not like, I love this movie and this thing and... Because, yeah, I think if, yeah, just I'm a big fan of your work.
0: So speaking of L.A., did that happen in L.A.? And, you know, when, I mean, what was the move like? The move was pretty funny, actually,
2: because I was definitely very optimistic and I was very excited. And at different points in my life, I had lived in L.A. for like a, a winter. I'd gone out to the, there to record and stayed for like two or three months. So I had I had a group of friends there and I, I knew I loved it. Um, but I um, I actually moved there. After a Woods tour, so Woods went to Australia to tour Australia in the winter of 2012, or no, I'm sorry, in January 2013 is it was, it was the new year. Cool. Um, we did like three weeks there, and then just straight from there, I just flew to LA and lived. So I really just, you know, it's so funny. I I put a bunch of stuff, um, all my stuff in New York, all my belongings at a friend in a friend's warehouse, um, and then I went on this tour. So I had like my guitar and in a suitcase, and then I just moved to LA with that. And then at some point I went back to New York and I got a few things, but mo- the majority of all my stuff I just put out on a street corner and I remember I like, tweeted or something. I was like, all my stuff is on the street corner. Um, it's free, anyone can have it. But I really didn't. I, and I, Honestly, I had very very little possessions the whole time that I was in New York. Um, and yeah, it was just... Are you,
0: are you a minimalist?
2: Not anymore. Now that I have a house, I feel like I, I'm constantly buying art and I'm constantly buying like gear and just stuff to kind of like... Dink around with or, or look at, but for the longest time I was you know, I feel like my lifestyle of just you know living as cheap and frugal as possible just kind of taught me that um, and living in New York in like a tiny room with five roommates and and uh yeah, then moving to l a and I never had too many belongings in l a either
0: and then writing and recording harlem river what what was your circumstance then
2: um so that was with done with my friend Rob Barbado, who had recorded the last Babies album, so also this move to LA was kind of like when I stepped out of both of those bands I stopped playing in the babies and I stopped playing in woods and um I knew I wanted to make a solo record and I really didn't know exactly how I wanted it to go um you know I kind of figured I have these songs maybe I'll just play them with the acoustic guitar and just make it a very easy effortless thing and it doesn't have to be a big deal but my friend Rob Barbado, I kind of owe a lot to him in the sense that he had done the last babies album we had a Amazing time making that record and he sort of had this bigger vision for the project for Harlem River, you know And he was like no, you know like he was playing in Cass McCombs at the time and um, he's played in a lot of great bands He played in the cool. fall. He played in a Wow Vampals, Darker My Love and So Rob, I think he just knew he was like no we can take these songs like you you know I like your songs and and people like the babies they they know you come from woods I think we can put a band around this and make it something bigger and so he, he sort of assembled this band. My friend Justin, who played in the Babies. You know, I brought him along with me to play drums. And then Rob kind of outfitted this band of a couple of the people. And we made it very quickly. Rob was working somewhere at the time. And we'd kind of sneak in on um, – he's working like a production house studio. And we'd sneak in on the weekends and just made it super quick. And um, we did that. And then we uh, made Still Life, uh, my second record, very quickly thereafter. And kind of just had these two, two albums that came out within less than a year of each other.
0: So, how do you had that before with your solo songwriting? Someone else jumping in and being like, "Yo, I have this vision. Let's can we try it?"
2: Um, no, I mean this is my first solo record, and with the babies, we always kind of knew where we wanted to go. Rob was a big part, though, of because when we recorded the first Babies album, it was done at at my house, rear house, the Woods house. Cool. Um, with my buddy Jarvis, as he was kind of like in the beginning stages of his recording career, and now he's a very talented producer, and and he's done a lot of big stuff. Um, But at the time he was just kind of learning it. And so we made a record with him just kind of uh, haphazardly. Like whenever we could, we'd record a song here and there. And it never really felt quite like an album. It felt more like a collection of singles made over two years or something. And so the record with Rob was very cohesive. And we kind of knew what we wanted and he knew how to help us achieve that. So then yeah, when it came to Harlem River, which is kind of a grab bag of songs, it was kind of songs that were spanning the last like five or six years of my life they're kind of old and just kind of just felt like yeah this might be a one-off thing I don't really know Mm. um but yeah he yeah he sort of had this thing and you know looking back it's why I chose him you know it's it's why I knew Rob would would be good and I remember at one point he was like we'll get this person play baseball and we'll do this we'll do that and I was like well I was kind of thinking maybe we'll just record me with an acoustic guitar and he was like we can do that and it can come out on a tape some like you know it can be some like collector's edition tape someday but I really think we need to make this record with a proper band so I'm very thankful to to Rob for, for uh, you know inspiring and it, that.
0: And Harlem River, Harlem, Harlem River came out on Woodsist, right so you're yeah. still completely in that world they're still your friends and you know peers is that yeah. right would you say that? Peers Absolutely kind of I would word. consider
2: those guys are like brothers you know like we're like family still and talking to both of them this morning um, and yeah, came out on Woodsist and, and you know, when Harlem River first came out it really felt like um, the way people perceived it and maybe the way that that I understood it a little bit too was like, okay, I have this record out like the bass player from Woods this guy who was in this band the Babies with this you know, this, this other person um, from the Vivian Girls has made this solo record that kind of doesn't sound like either um, maybe it's just like a one-off niche thing and it kind of didn't feel like like people took it seriously in the sense that like they seemed to like it um but they didn't take it they didn't it didn't seem like people were like oh this guy's making a go of it you know it seemed like people were just kind of like oh cool he put out like a little nice thing and the, the record's only eight songs long and um it wasn't until i put out my second album that i think people are like oh wow he's really he's, he's gonna try to do this
0: and did that your, did your personal aspects did your perception of of yourself change between you know the first and second record
2: yeah, you know, it's funny because I've always felt like Still Life is its kind of like the Ugly Duckling of my catalog. I feel like all my records kind of speak to one another, but Still Life is this sort of random record. But in my mind, it's sort of the Lost Babies album. I think all those songs would have ended up on if the babies ever made a third record. Um, wow. So that was kind of, you know, like... So, some songs I had written from that time period or maybe we're saving if the babies ever did something like that. But then when it came clear that we weren't going to, I was like, well, you know, like that's the beauty of being a solo artist. It can, it just all falls under my name and I can do something radically different. Um, you know, but it, it can still be me, you know? And so, um, once I don't, yeah, we recorded that and it, it did seem to sort of solidify, um, the fact that I was I, I was and it, it, it charged me up, you know, and then like around that time um, That's really when a lot of like labels started talking to me and managers and, and other bands wanting to take me on tour and stuff so um, Yeah, it was it, it definitely got me sort of pumped up for
0: all of it Was there a moment when you thought okay? Yeah, this is this is the thing I need to keep going in the direction of um, That's a
2: great question. I think around the time I still like you know, Harlem River came out and, and, again, like, it didn't make the biggest impression, but I think the people it made an impression on, it, it did make a big impression on them. Um, and it that's sort of like a niche um, crew, you know, people who mm. liked Woods' records or, you know, uh, like the blog Aquarium Drunkard seemed to like it a lot. And um, so I knew I was tapping in. I was, I was happy to have made something that I felt like people, uh, you know, at least a, a certain... Uh, type of person was enjoying you know and it kind of gave me a sense of hope and then again when I made still life I think people were like okay this like like that felt like the moment where people like okay he's not gonna do the babies anymore he's gonna do his own thing and now we can just start paying attention to him you know like we have the green light to not hold out for like another baby's album or something we can just concentrate on what he's gonna do now so that's where really where I felt it shift and again once a bunch of labels started talking to me around that time and um, booking agents and and all these different things is when i was like you know what there's like some like i if i sign with one of these labels that's like a three record deal and that's going to be like at least 5 years of my life like i started to feel a little sense of like security you know and there were significant record advances and you know when i got my first record advance from dead oceans it's when i bought this house and so wow. that's when it started to feel like okay cool um you i can this can be a real thing if i'm smart about it
0: a responsibility as well
2: Absolutely. Of course, you know, um, definitely responsibility. And, you know, looking back, it's so much of music. And I mean, so much of life is just is happenstance, you know, like I ended up making singing. Song," my third record with Sam. And that's really what sort of broke my career open. I, that's the, the, like, whatever path I'm on today, that really started it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's when I signed with Dead Oceans, and I, I made a record with my friend Sam Cohen, who I just sort of randomly met, and you know we didn't really know each other well at all, but we ended up making this record that we're both very proud of, and that you know got critically acclaimed, and and turned, seemed to be the record that turned a lot of people in my direction. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that's strays from your question, but it it just it's it, it, a lot of times things just seem random, and again this this all goes back to that's why I feel. It, it's important and it's with great risk but great reward if you just sort of throw yourself into your thing you know if you throw yourself into the universe and you're really putting it out there you're really putting yourself out there and your your work out there um you know sometimes it can come back with great return
0: i've got such a fantastic memory of um hearing farewell transmission of songs ohio Mm -hmm. when i went to like um, my girlfriend's friend's wedding in Germany a couple of years ago and they had the, their friends did a covers band and played that song and I'd never heard it before and you know even at, in, even in that night live hearing those hearing those lyrics no one gets it right but we all you know we're all supposed to try that has taken on so many meanings and when you when you covered that with Katie the other day or the other month I, I applied you know doing this podcast interviewing bands I was like that's that's it
2: yeah yeah it's a great lyric and that's that's definitely one of those songs you kind of remember wh- where you were the first time you heard it. It's such an amazing all time yeah. classic song. Where were you um, when you first heard it? I was actually, it's funny. I was, a. I have a good friend named Boz who's my tour manager in Europe. Um, who's a huge fan of Jason Molina and Boz has actually turned me on to a lot of great music. Mm. Um, he's kind of turned me on to music that I th- thought I would never like. And then he puts it on in the van. And I'm like, what is this? But I was, I was on tour in, in, in England actually. I think we're actually in Wales. Um, And he put it on and I remember feeling homesick and there's something about it that's so American sound. There's so, it's so Midwestern sounding, you know, and that, that slide guitar line is so good. And it's just, just one of those things. And, you know, it's like Neil Young or something. It's like, it's just so powerful. Um, but I remember he put it on and it was just one of I was like, what is this? He's like, you know, he told me his electric Magnolia company and. I, yeah, I guess I was a little surprised because I thought that was this is a name I'd always heard but never thought I'd like for some reason. And um, I've just been a super fan ever since.
0: Touring through Europe, like having having that live where, you know, going back to the middle class of music, was, was there a time when you were like, okay, this is... I mean, do you feel comfortable with it now? I mean, obviously the, the new record and, you know, oh My, when Oh My God came out, I was like, oh, you've got a real aesthetic going on. You know, the videos were this completely different thing this cinematic experience and mm. this is more than just music this is a this is a big vibes big feel
2: well thank you um there's a few moments when singing song came out there was a few moments where i felt like i could go a couple of different ways or i you know i wouldn't necessarily get there but i could shoot for them and you know it was a time in my life where like I felt like people would compare me to a band like war on drugs who have obviously become like a huge sort of radio, big rock band or someone would compare me to someone like Will Oldham, you know, someone who's really made his own sort of like niche career and, um, kind of always done what he wanted and, and remained within the realms of indie rock. And there was a, a moment of like, you know, where I had to sort of look at myself and say like, okay, I'm getting these certain, you know, this certain amount of attention and, um, Some people seem to be coming from this direction and others from this direction. Like, what do I want? You know, what, what, what seems important to me? And there's a couple of things that happened around that time that made me feel like, you know what? I really want to, I want to always put the art in front of everything else. I want to not do anything because anyone else wants me to do it. And if that means that I'm going to have like a, a niche, small following career, that's amazing, you know, because to have a career in music at all is, is incredible. And if that means that I'm going to, you know, uh, play big stadiums or something, that's cool too, but I'm not going to aim for that. You know, I, I really want to just create my own world and, um, keep it strange and interesting and have that be my thing. I, I think it's, it's always been like a slow burn thing for me and, and any of my, my favorite artists and their careers, it's always a slow burn and I always really admire the slow burn. And, um, And I think part of that is just creating your own world, just really building your own world and and not caring if some people, you know, find it boring or uninteresting or or stupid. And just, you know, knowing that there's always going to be some people who are going to want to be a part of it and some people who won't. But just really following your own vision.
0: Being an adult, it's about playing the long game, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can. I love the quote. What's the quote? Uh, You can have it all, just not in one day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you you know, it's great to learn your own mistakes. It's great to go through these journeys.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny, it's at this point now, and my heroes have always been these people who are very candid, like, you know, like Patty Smith, um, mm. I, you know, I'm a huge Patty Smith fan and I've heard her talk in countless interviews about you're going to release records. Uh she gave some interview a long time ago. I, I should find it, but she's like, you know, you're going to release as an artist, you'll you'll put you'll release things or or you know, you'll you'll make stuff that you think is going to be huge and no one understands it and it gets slammed. And then you'll make something that you think no one's going to care about and then everyone loves it. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense, but you do got to just you got to follow your own path and really try to not let in, in, any of the noise distract you. And um You know or you like look at Lou Reed's career and how the velvet underground was a failure and then his first solo record was a failure But then finally David Bowie produced Transformer and then that was his breaking point for him and uh, or like Lucinda Williams made her best album in her 40s and uh, Leonard Cohen released his record when he was 33 his first record and I Just love that. I Um, I I love the slow burn of things I love that Leonard Cohen at 80 years old was headlining Madison Square Garden, you know, yeah, and Perhaps if Leonard Cohen blew up when he was 25 and was headlining MSG then, he wouldn't have been doing it when he was 80 because he would have flamed out or whatever. Um,
0: and it makes it a better just, story for us, doesn't it? Really? I mean, that's a far yeah, better story.
2: For sure. For sure. And I I just like the the pacing of it. Is It feels so natural. It feels so unnatural. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I've had friends who've blown up overnight and they, you know, their careers... Uh, really uh, bottom out you know and then I've had friends who have really made a, a, a great career out of you know the their hype or whatever um, and you know I'm sure there's people out there who think that I am overhyped I'm sure there's people who are like oh, what's Kevin Moore we talking about you know like he's he's a hyped guy he gets hyped at every turn and then there's some people who who don't think that you know like it's all perspective but I, I really like to look at my own records and my own catalog is almost like it's own album you know Um, like I want to be able to look back on it and be like, oh, you know, this was the instrumental song and this was the, the, you know, the, this is the, you know, whatever the minor song or like, this is the punk song, but talking about them all like the albums as if they're songs, if that makes sense. Um, and like, I would just love, you know, one of my favorite things about my favorite artist is you can look at their catalog and say like, well, I'm in this mood, and they captured that mood at one point in their career. So, um, I can put on this record, you know?
0: Well, Kevin, thanks so much for, for being up for doing this. We've gone slightly over time of what I told your, your people. Oh, no worries. This is great. And what you said just then about, you know, ha- having that, that longevity, that journey. It's a gift is what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I mean? It's just a wonderful thing. There's, there's never been a day in my life that music hasn't changed the feeling of my day. And I think yeah, that's like such a cool thing. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. So that was Kevin Morby here on 101 Part-Time Jobs Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you do like it, please go ahead and share it with friends or family. Rate and subscribe it on iTunes, five stars, obviously. Doing all that stuff helps me get more guests, more chats and more things that we can share together. So thank you so much for listening. Go well. And here's Coxborough. I've been working all day mate on the side.
2: Running around like a blue
0: This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.